You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, presenting interviews with famous, fascinating, influential personalities from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. I thought we'd be bored to death with nothing to do, but it has not worked out that way. Well, we have almost as full and challenging and enjoyable a life now as we've ever had. So we haven't retired by any means, but we've just shifted our emphasis. The former president and first lady, Jimmy and Rosalind Carter. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. In November of 1980, after serving just one term as President of the United States, Jimmy Carter was voted out of office. The following January, he and First Lady Rosalind Carter moved back to their hometown, Plains, Georgia. But they didn't simply settle into a life of retirement and leisure, quite the opposite, actually. And just a few years later, in 1987, they wrote a book together called Everything to Gain. Their aim was to help people of all walks of life, not just former presidents, navigate the later years of life. And that's how I met them. So here now from 1987, Jimmy and Rosalind Carter. Let me begin with the title of your book, Everything to Gain. Does that imply nothing to lose? Absolutely, nothing to lose. And the other part of the book is very important, too. That is making the most of the rest of your life. You know, how if you're 25 years old or 85 years old, you can uh, have a more pleasant <clears throat> and uh, physically uh, active life and uh, a healthier life, both mentally and, and spiritually and physically, but also a full and enjoyable and adventurous life. To most people, though, when they get to retirement age, that is the end, whether retirement age for them is 55 or 60, 65. And as I'm sure you well know, many people must think that being a president who is voted out of office, that must really be the end. Not only former presidents and governors, but also just average people have a crisis in their lives or unexpected change or frustrated hopes, um, retirement, uh, loss of a job, uh, an unexpected uh, move of one's family to a place that you didn't anticipate, the last child leaving home, uh, a sickness or a death in the family. Those kinds of crises affect everyone. <clears throat> the question is, what do you do about it? And the purpose of our book is to tell through our own experiences, not in the White House, but back at home in Plains, uh, how we reacted to those kinds of uh, shocks uh, and what we've done with our own life that would be applicable or helpful to the average reader. It's often difficult, too, for the spouse of someone who is who has been the, uh, the, the career partner in a, in a marriage and who's, who you've, you've followed your husband's career all through the years, and suddenly now you both wind up with time on your hands. Well, that's what we thought was going to happen when we went home to Plains. I thought we'd be bored to death with nothing to do, but it has not worked out that way. Uh, we had some um, adjustments to make, and they were not always easy. And um, that was one of the reasons we wrote this book. The main reason was to let people know about the health issues, um, how they can add 11 years to their lifespans by making the right choices, uh, which is information we learned from a study that we had at the Carter Center. But then after we started thinking about the book and how to write that and how to get this information out to people, we decided that it might be helpful if uh, we shared our experiences in overcoming the crises that we had in losing the election and moving on to an um, interesting life. I must say that the two of you look very relaxed. You look like you are enjoying retirement. Well, we have almost as full and challenging 
uh, and enjoyable a life now as we've ever had. <clears throat> so we haven't retired by any means, but we've just shifted our emphasis. One of the things the book does is tells you that, that when, well, the difference between life today and life when we grew up during the Depression years in Plains, uh, in those early days, there was no such thing as retirement. People worked until they were physically incapable of working longer. Second, there were no idle days in the idle days in the week. Uh, third, there were no idle uh, hours in a day. You worked all day long until you could no longer work. But now people have time to um, to enjoy themselves more, to take up uh, interesting hobbies, to do some travel if they're able, uh, to participate. Uh, not only in their own chosen profession, but in other ways of service. And there's such a wide menu of things that people can choose that sometimes we overlook uh, the multitude and enjoyment of those opportunities. So in our book, we try to describe how just an average person uh, who lives in an urban center or a small town uh, can have a constantly expanding life that's uh, sometimes helpful to others, uh, sometimes just enjoyable, most of the time both. But as you mentioned in the book, I read uh, toward the end, you said some people will say, well, sure, it's easy for an ex-president. He can do whatever he wants to do. Well, we wrote the book not from the perspective of the White House, but from the perspective of the small town of Plains and compared our life with, with life earlier there. <clears throat> also, you have to realize that when we have, for instance, in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina this July, uh, 320 people go as volunteers to build 14 homes for poor people in five days. Only two of us will have lived in the White House. All the rest of us will not. And when you have almost a million people participate in something like the Friendship Force, an exchange of uh, visitors back and forth between countries, only two of us have ever lived in the White House. The rest of us haven't. So the vast majority of opportunities are for people are... Uh, who have never lived in a governor's mansion or White House. I went, for instance, at home um, to the hospital, to the library, and to the college to see what kinds of uh, programs they had for people who wanted to participate, either volunteer or take a course at the college or um, whatever, and found all kinds of opportunities for people just in our small community. And so what we tried to do in this book was to tell people that have time on their hands now that there are so many things to do. And and, and what you find is that people really want to be active. They really want to volunteer and do things for others, but sometimes they don't know how to get started. That's one of the things we tried to do in our book is to give them some ideas about how to get started and get involved in these programs. After this short break, how a former president does his own DIY home improvement projects. back to my 1987 interview with Jimmy and Rosalind Carter. I think many people are curious about what a president and a first lady do when, once they go back home to, to Plains or to California or wherever it may be. Do you do your own grocery shopping? Do you wash and wax the car? Do you uh, take the car down to the, the gas station? Well, when we got home, the first thing we had to do was to put a floor in our attic because we had accumulated a lot of uh, stuff. Uh, during four years in the White House. So we carried all the boards upstairs, and uh, we sawed them and nailed them in and, and made our own, own attic. Uh, our yard had basically washed away in 10 years. We'd been away from planes. We had to haul in the dirt ourselves, plant grass, uh, reseed the lawn, 
we we didn't have any we don't have any groundskeepers and that sort of thing to to do those kinds of jobs for us. <clears throat> Just this past week, for instance, we uh, put in 500 feet of picket fence. Uh, my brother Billy and I uh, dug the holes. Uh, Rosen and I put up the picket fence. Split rail fence. I'm sorry. Said split rail instead of picket. But we had a good time doing those things, and and it's still uh, there's there's plenty of opportunity during the day to do uh, a writing, uh, do the teaching. I've just finished my fifth year of teaching at Emory University as a as a so-called distinguished professor. Uh, we've built a, a a major center in Atlanta to house the papers and records of our presidency, and also to participate in international and national affairs. So. The, the multiplicity of uh, things we have, some uh, handiwork around the house, it's like a vacation. When we go overseas on business, it's kind of like a vacation. When I teach at Emory, it's kind of like a vacation. Uh, one of the things you have when you retire is a lot of options, and when you choose your own options, you know everything can be enjoyable. The early chapters of the book, forgive me if I'm, if I'm not wording this tactfully enough, I guess that to, to the casual reader, it may sound as though you're still waging the 1980 campaign when you speak of the current administration and the, the direction it has gone versus the direction you wish you could have taken the country. No, we tried not to emphasize that much, but just to show that we were disappointed and frustrated when we had to leave the White House four years earlier than we had thought, that we weren't able to finish things on which we had embarked. Um, in dealing with peace in the Middle East, uh, uh, nuclear arms control, uh, human rights, peace in Central America, those kinds of things <clears throat> we just weren't able to finish. So it, there was a frustration there in seeing our hopes and aspirations dashed. But we, we, the book is one of hope and uh, anticipation looking to the future. And it gives our own life's experiences as an example but it's primarily written to show the average person that, that uh, they themselves, regardless of their background or regardless of their level of income, can have a challenging and constantly expanding, expanding life. Your health really does play a big part in, in how active you can be and how you choose to be. That's right, and I don't want to get away from the health issues in our book because, as I said, that was the original purpose of it. We had a study on the causes of unnecessary sickness and death in our country. We had this study at the Carter Center, and we wanted everybody to know what we learned there. Um, it's really preventive health, how to take care of yourself um, and have a um, um, long and productive life. And um, so a lot of this book is about simple things that we all know, like we shouldn't smoke, we shouldn't drink to excess, we should fasten our seatbelts and so forth, but we try to give... Uh, some of the information that we learned on why these things are important and how you can, how it actually how it does add to your life span and your enjoyment to to stay healthy and how you can prevent so much unnecessary sickness and death. So often, though, we just ignore things like that while we're going through life, doing our job, raising our kids, being president, whatever. You you, you don't stop and think about your health very often, do you? Well, I think as you get older, you start thinking more about it. <laughs> and uh, oh, when you get sick, that's right. But um, it, it um, um, I think it's very important for people to know that by following a few simple rules that are simple, though all not always easy to uh, to do, um, that they can statistically add 11 years to their lifespan. I think 11 years is significant. <laughs> I see. I only have a moment or so left. I wanted to ask you your 
dear friend Sam Donaldson recently told me. His perception is that the major difference between your presidency and Ronald Reagan's presidency is that while you came up with, personally, some terrific ideas, you had difficulty selling those ideas, whereas Ronald Reagan can come up with the most mediocre idea but can sell a refrigerator to an Eskimo. Well, I think President Reagan has been very successful in selling his ideas to the press, but he hasn't been able to sell peace to the Middle East or nuclear arms control to the Soviets or peace to Central America or a balanced budget to the American people, things of that kind. And so I think that that, uh, that we conceived some very good programs. We were able to sell them to the Congress and to our international uh, trading and diplomatic partners very effectively, but we were not uh, successful in dealing with the press. And this is uh, one of the failures of our administration. Look at the accomplishments of the Carter administration in foreign affairs, for instance, compared to the Reagan administration. He obviously had to sell those to somebody to get them passed. Um, Camp David Accords, the Panama Canal Treaties, the normalization of relations with China, all these things that Jimmy did, a human rights program and so forth. Um, President Reagan has not only not had the ideas, I don't think, about foreign affairs, but the accomplishments are not there, so he didn't seem to sell them to me. And on domestic issues, the things that Jimmy tackled were very unpopular, like energy, when we had the oil crisis and, and those kinds of things that he was able to do um, because they needed to be done without being demagogic about it. And um, so I think there's, I don't think Sam's right in that analysis. <laughs> he, uh, President Reagan has stayed popular, but um, I don't think Jimmy would ever have. Um, tried to bluff his way through and do things that, um, uh, just to get them done. Or, or just to, I think I'm just going to have to start all over on that. <laughs> so you'll just have to erase that one because I couldn't say okay. what I started to say. <laughs> I haven't decided I'm Earlier this month, Jimmy and Rosalind Carter celebrated their 75th wedding anniversary with a star-studded party in, of course, Plains, Georgia. Jimmy Carter is 96 now. Rosalind Carter is 93. And you can find easy Amazon links to Jimmy and Rosalind Carter's books at our website, HeardEverything.com. And while you're at HeardEverything.com, be sure and listen to my interview with Barack Obama. I certainly think that you have to know uh, where you've been uh, if you want to know where you're going. And uh, for someone who comes out of a, a family and a background that's both black and white, uh, that's a especially important process that one has to go through. And my conversation with George McGovern. Liberalism, to me, means a faith that the federal government should take constructive, positive steps to advance the interests of the ordinary rank-and-file American. And, of course, we post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find Now I've Heard Everything on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time... Next time on Now I've Heard Everything. The Summer Olympics are about to get underway, so we'll revisit my 1990 interview with one of the greatest Olympic track stars of all time, nine-time gold medalist Carl Lewis. I was very naive. All the way, even through the 84 Olympic Games, I was very naive. And I had to learn it myself, on my own, with my family and friends, and I had to learn it the hard way. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Bill Thompson.